This is week three of our eight-part series, What We Value. Today, the biblical value of God-dependent prayer. So stand in honor of God's word, please. We are going to take a look at a well-known passage today, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. We're going to see that God-dependent prayer is an ongoing conversation with God. And we all know we should talk with God all the time about everything, but we don't do it. Prayer is an undervalued value. If we do not pray at all, we do not know God. If we pray little, we do not know God as well as we think we do. So the prayer today is that God would ignite a passion in our hearts to pray. Let's read the word. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts today. For your glory, for our good. And that you would ignite in our hearts a passion for you. A passion to pray have an ongoing conversation with you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. God-dependent prayer is an ongoing conversation with God. We should talk with God all the time about everything, but we do not. Subtitle of Dr. Jim Rosscup's excellent four-volume exposition of every prayer in the Bible is igniting the fuel to flame our communication with God. God wants to ignite a passion in your heart to pray. It's what we all need. John MacArthur said, prayer is the simplest, most basic of all the spiritual disciplines, least demanding of all Christian duties. It can be done everywhere, at any time, under any circumstances, by any believer. The youngest, least experienced Christian is fully equipped to pray. Prayer is often compared to breathing. The first, most natural, essential, and beneficial exercise resulting from the new birth. As believers... We are on a journey to eternity together. We are doing life here and now, but eternity is looming. Heaven awaits. The Bible is our compass. The Holy Spirit is our guide. The church is family. And we want to glorify God through lives transformed by the gospel to be a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. What matters based on that, how we ought to be observed living comprise our eight distinct values. We've looked at God-centered worship. We've looked at Christ-centered preaching. Today, God-dependent prayer. In following weeks, gospel-changed relationships, multi-generational ministry, Christ-honoring service, God-confident outreach, and humble, bold leadership. We looked at God-centered worship. We were in Romans chapter 11, verse 36 to 12, verse 2, 
and it showed us a model of conscious, consecrated, continual, God-centered worship. Your will surrendered to God, who is worthy of all of our worship. Then we looked at Christ-centered preaching last week, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. And we saw that Christ-centered preaching is spirit-empowered proclamation. The word of God read, explained, and applied in the spirit's power. Today, God-dependent prayer. Why do we value it? The Bible refers to prayer in 61 of the 66 books. Almost 1,100 references to prayer. First prayer is in Genesis, last prayer is in Revelation. The Bible closes with prayer. Revelation 22.20 says, He who testifies says, I am coming soon. The prayer, Amen, come Lord Jesus. That's our prayer. Prayer is the privilege and responsibility of believers to adore God and to declare our dependence and to express our needs. God chooses to use prayer as a means to bring about his sovereign purposes. Prayer doesn't change God's mind, but it is crucial in his providential plans. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, very well-known verses, tell us, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You're worried about the will of God today? This is it right here. Now the basis of this exhortation, and I want you to see this, is everything in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. You can't do what verses 16 through 18 says without living the way that 1 Thessalonians 5 instructs you to live. Prayer is the outflow of a life lived in expectant dependence on God. So before we look at these verses, what I want you to see is how they fit in the context of this chapter. God-dependent prayer is rooted in the, the eternal purposes of God, built on the gospel, lived out in real time, because your prayers can be hindered by your response to what you encounter in this life. Now this passage, this, this chapter, has a, a beautiful end times perspective. It starts talking about the day of the Lord, when Jesus returns. And it says it's going to be like a thief in the night. People will be saying, we have peace, we have security, but sudden destruction will come like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But it says you believers are not in darkness, so that day is not going to overtake you like a thief. It's not going to surprise you. You're children of light. You're children of day. You are to be awake and sober. You have the breastplate of faith and love. You know who you are in Christ. You have the, the hope of salvation as a helmet. God hasn't destined believers to wrath, but salvation through Jesus Christ, who died for us so that we might live with him. This is how this chapter starts. And it says, encourage one another with this. Build one another up, just like you are doing already. 
And then Paul addresses three key relationships. If you want to grow as a healthy church, you want to grow as a healthy flock. The first relationship is between shepherd and sheep, pastors and elders and sheep, verses 12 and 13. You are to respect those who labor among you, over you in the Lord, who admonish you. You are to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You're not to pick them apart or be at war or have a critical spirit. You're to receive admonishment. You're to be in harmony. You're to be at peace. The next key relationship is the sheep and the sheep. Verses 14 and 15. We're to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Because everyone at some point or another, is going to fail you. Won't meet your expectations. You will feel the impact of hard hearts and weakness and insensitive actions. And nevertheless, it says, see that no one repays evil for evil. Don't do it. Always seek what is good for everyone. The blanket statement. And then in verses 16, really all the way to verse 19, the relationship, the key relationship between the sheep and the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. In light of Christ's imminent return and the challenges that you face in this life, verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ as a believer. This is how you're to live. It goes on. We'll just keep on going. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not throw a wet blanket over the fire of the Spirit of God. No, rejoice. Give thanks. Don't grumble. Don't despise prophecies. Don't despise the preaching of the Word. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The outcome you see in this chapter is God is going to sanctify believers... Spirit, soul, and body, blameless at Christ's return. The assurance is that he who calls you is faithful. He is going to do what he says he's going to do. And then over in verse 25, you see this request, pray for us. Pray for us. We should be praying for one another. Now back to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Go back to those three verses. You cannot pray this way Unless you live that way, unless you live in expectant dependence on God, in obedience to God, as it lays out right here in 1 Thessalonians 5, in all those relationships. And what you see in these three verses that are very well known is that prayer is commanded, it is constant, it is comprehensive communication with God. First, it's commanded. We're clearly commanded to pray in Scripture. Matthew 5, Jesus says, Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them. Mark 13, 33, Take heed, watch, and pray. Ephesians 6, 18, Pray always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Colossians 4.2, be devoted to prayer. We're commanded to pray. And here 
in our verses for today, we're commanded to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks. These are present, active, imperative commands. Basically, do this, keep doing this, do this now, do this continually. Verse 16, rejoice. Be of good cheer in Christ. Springs from faith in Christ's all-sufficient riches. You're banking on God's faithfulness. It's appropriate at all times. James 1, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Verse 17, pray, Greek word prosukomai. It's, it's an umbrella term covering every kind of prayer you find in the Bible. Praise, thanksgiving, confession, petition, intercession, affirmation, and so on. The idea behind this word pray is it's a permeating influence in your life. It's in the present tense. It highlights the ongoing urgency of prayer. You need to be praying as a Christian. Pray. Rejoice. Pray. And then verse 18, give thanks. Greek word eucharisteo. It's, it's the idea of you give a, a worshipful offering to God. You're giving him accolades. You're giving him gratitude. You're, you're offering these things to God. This is the outflow of your, of your life. And it's, a, it's an outlook outflow of a spirit-filled life when you're filled with god's spirit thankfulness flows ephesians 5 verse 18 says do not get drunk with wine but be filled be controlled by the spirit of god it says to address one another in psalms hymns spiritual songs so if you're controlled by the spirit of god if you're indwelt with the spirit of god if you're filled by the spirit of god if you're controlled by the spirit of god you will be speaking To fellow Christians in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, you'll be singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And you will give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18 tells us this is the will of God. A lot of people are confused about the will of God. You don't need to be confused about this. This is his commanded will for you. For everyone in Christ, you cannot apply for an exemption from this. The best way to a happy life in Christ is to pray. If you know Christ, you will pray. If you don't know Christ, you won't pray. Or you'll be just babbling in the air. God's not listening to you. Prayer flows from a humble trusting, obedient believer. Psalm 34, 15 says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. He's he's listening. Psalm 66, verse 18, the psalmist says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, if I'm not confessing my sins, if I'm just going to let it go, the Lord won't hear. I'm going to block my relationship with God. The Bible tells us that unbelievers are not heard for their many, many words. Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but hears the prayer of the righteous. There's a lot of people fooling themselves today. John 9, verse 31 says, God does not listen to sinners. Everyone's a sinner, but these are people that are unrepentant. And, but if one worships God and does his will... And Jesus made it very clear what his will is, that you would believe in him, 
that you would trust in him for salvation. It says if, if, you're, if you worship God and do his will, God listens. See, prayer is only a boring waste of time to unbelievers. Those who are born again to a living hope by God see prayer as a delightful duty and privilege. Now, none of us who are believers pray as often or as consistently or as faithfully as we, we would like or we know we should. Nevertheless, all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior pray to God our Father through Christ by his Spirit. It's commanded. You're going to do it if you're alive in Christ. Second thing is that prayer is to be constant. Constant. Always, without ceasing. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, or, or literally continuing in prayer. What does that mean? You know, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? Does it mean that you keep praying and never take a breath? It doesn't mean repetitious or continuous praying without a break. It's not talking without ever taking a breath. It's, it means persistent. That you don't miss an opportunity to pray. That you are alert to every chance to pray. That you redeem the time. It's like those of us who can't pass up a good deal. You're a prayer opportunist. You're avid in prayer. This is what Jesus modeled. Jesus modeled for us constant, consistent, continual prayer. You see it over and over again in the Gospels. At his baptism, after a long day uh, to escape the crowds, uh, after success, when he was in anguish, when he was talking about a wayward disciple, when, when he's praying for his people, you see him praying in Gethsemane. You see Jesus praying at the cross, from the cross. And Jesus told two unique parables about how we should pray this way. In fact, they're parables that he told that are very unique because they were about someone who wasn't like God to show what God is like. The first is in Luke 11. This uh, Chapter, Luke 11, starts with Jesus praying and his disciples saying, hey, we want to do that too. Teach us to pray. And he gives them a model prayer known as the Lord's Prayer. Probably should be known as the Disciples' Prayer. And it, it, was, it, it contained not just the only words you could ever say, but the component parts of prayer. But then, verses 5 through 13, he talks about prayer's persistence. And he tells a story about a friend who's reluctant to help a friend who's on a journey. And he says, suppose you have a friend who's on a journey who shows up like at midnight at your house and asks for help. And you're going to say, don't bother me. We're all tucked in already. We're not getting out. Sorry, you can't come downstairs. In those days, it was cold. You had to get all together to keep warm at night. And they're all tucked in. I'm reluctant to help you, even though you're my friend. But then the friend keeps knocking and keeps asking. And so because of the persistent asking, 
you get worn down and you're like, okay, I'm going to help you because you can't keep me awake all night. And, and the point Jesus is making is, how much more does God want to help you? He is not reluctant to help you. How much more does God want to help? How much more does God give good gifts? So keep praying. Don't stop. Don't give up. Over in Luke 18, he tells another parable, and, and the point was very clear. It says he told this parable so that they would always pray and not lose heart. And he talks about a judge who doesn't fear God and doesn't respect man. How did this person become a judge? We don't know. But a widow comes to the judge and asks for help. And the judge is like, you know what? I don't want to help you. But then she constantly badgers the judge with these requests, and the judge says, you wore me down, I'm going to help you. And Jesus makes the point, says, that judge is nothing like me, but you should cry to God day and night for justice because he's just and he's willing to help. And you're not to use meaningless repetition like pagans do where you just blabber out words in a formula or a ritual. But what you are to pray like is with meaningful repetition. Meaningful repetition. Not heartless babble. But you should keep praying. And for a believer, you can be assured God hears your cry. And that his heart is compassionate toward you. And he moves in compassion towards you because he is a loving God. Now, this doesn't always have to be totally intense like Garden of Gethsemane, blood, sweat, and tears praying. Nor is it always a fireside chat. The level of intensity in our prayer, even constant, is going to fluctuate based upon the situation. Sometimes, you think about the Bible, sometimes people are on their knees, sometimes they're standing, sometimes they're working, sometimes they're doing other things, and they're praying, just like you in your life. You, sometimes you're on your knees, sometimes you're standing, sometimes you're lying down, sometimes you're face down, sometimes you're driving. The point about prayer is, it is work of the heart, and it is also hard work. Coolridge said it this way, it's the highest energy of a Christian. Paul put it this way, he says, Epaphras is always laboring for you in his prayers. He's working hard in his prayers for you. We have prayer warriors among us who work hard in prayer for the people of God. Now what you don't need to, to adopt is, well, I guess I need to pray for a really, really long time for it to be effective. Sometimes you will pray for a long time. Others will be short. But prayer doesn't need to be long to be effective. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 5 through 38 is the longest prayer in the Bible. You can, you can pray that prayer out loud in under seven minutes. John chapter 17, New Testament's longest prayer, the longest of Jesus' prayers, 26 verses long. Jesus did pray for longer periods of time in solitude, extended periods of time. He spent the whole night in prayer. But then you've got people praying brief prayers. Tax collector prays right on point. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. A thief on the cross 
Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Peter sinking in water. Shortest prayer in the Bible, Lord, save me. It worked. Prayer that is constant is, is recurring in your life. You get those recurring payments set up. They just keep happening. But you're very, you should be very conscious of those, right? This is recurring attitude that you're very conscious of that becomes a part of the fabric of your life. You think about it. You're always aware. It's like wearing glasses or contact lenses. You, you get used to them, and it becomes a way of your life, and, and you're consciously, um, constantly knowing about it. Well, God wants you to have a constant consciousness of his presence so that you would carry on an ongoing conversation with him. Prayer is commanded. Prayer is to be constant. We also see that prayer is to be comprehensive. Comprehensive. In everything, give thanks. In all things. So you don't need to say, well, you know, that's not really important. I'm going to abbreviate my prayer life, to only give God the important things. God is commanding us in everything, give thanks. It applies to all of life, all-inclusive, where you are consistently yielding yourself to God, where you are consistently giving over control to God, uh, uh, control of your mind and your thoughts and your opinions and your choices, your relationships and your work and your school and community and so on where you give to God your marriage and your parenting and your singleness and your joblessness and your anger and your addiction and you come honestly to God and you come with integrity because he knows everything. You're pouring your heart out to him who knows everything and you're praying about everything. He knows it all already. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer and the disciples' prayer to ask for everything we need for body and soul. It's It's comprehensive. This is what prayer is like. It's commanded, it's constant, it's comprehensive, and also, just quite simply, it's communication with God. You're talking to the God of the universe. He says rejoice. You're rejoicing in God's presence to God. Philippians 4.4 says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Composer Joseph Haydn was asked, why is your music so cheerful? Probably from a complainer. And here's what he said, when I think upon God, my heart is so full of joy that the notes dance and leap, as it were, from my pen. And since God has given me a cheerful heart, it will be pardoned me that I serve him with a cheerful spirit. Joy in Christ doesn't ebb and flow with your circumstances. It's rooted in a relationship with God. It is joy even in persecution, which marched, marked the early church, which amazed the heathens and attracted them to Christ. God doesn't want your joy in Christ to be strangled by suffering. Therefore, he says, rejoice always. You need to rejoice in what Christ did for you on the cross. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's how God wants us to live. We're to rejoice, to communicate with God as we rejoice. We're to pray in that all-encompassing umbrella idea of prayer at all times that you would draw near to God with an intimate relationship with him. 
even when you're really busy. Martin Luther said when he had lots of work, he said, I have so much to do, I cannot get on without three hours a day of praying. We're to rejoice, we're to pray, we're to communicate with God, we're to give thanks. Communicate thanks to God. Now, a thankful heart has been modeled to me by many people, young and old. And it changes my perspective. And I wonder sometimes, what is it that causes a person either to be immensely thankful or immensely critical? And I think the answer is, whatever you cultivate in your life gets cemented in your life. It's like a permanent frown or a permanent smile. What this verse is telling us is that there is no situation where a Christian cannot give thanks. In hardship, we are more than conquerors because the spirit of glory in God rests on us. Remember the Chinese proverb, when you drink from the stream, remember the spring. God's the giver of every good and perfect gift. You look at the book of James and it says he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. This was written to people who were in extreme persecution, in extreme hardship. And sometimes the gift was the hardship to cause them to gaze upon Christ. One of the first things we teach our kids is what? Say thanks. Be thankful. Give thanks always for everything to God. Thank God in all things, all things working together for good. Romans 8.28. R.A. Torrey said that Romans 8.28 is like a, a soft pillow for those that are tired. He's working all things together for good, which is... That perspective, by the way, is in contrast to constant grumbling about how things are going in your life. Where you refuse to be self-centered, where you refuse to be critical, when you refuse to be offended, when you you choose to forbear and and then forgiveness is easy. Where there's no complaints. Titus 2.1 says, only speak what is in accord with sound doctrine. There was a Scottish minister, practically blind at age 18, And he prayed, God, I have never thanked you for my thorn. I have thanked you a thousand times for my roses, but never once for my thorn. Thank God for your thorn. Your pain, your challenge, your heartache. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7 Combine these commands, rejoice, pray, and thanks. Starts, rejoice in the Lord always. The Lord's at hand. He's present, he's hearing, he's listening. Don't be anxious about anything. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The result is that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Communicating with God. Prayer is commanded, it is constant, it is comprehensive, and it is communication with God. It's an ongoing conversation. And there are lots of barriers. A lot of barriers. I'll just point out a few. 
One barrier that's just kind of low-hanging fruit is too much connectedness. Devices, distractions. Tim Keller says, everyone in Western society today has less solitude. Less of our days in which we are unplugged when we are not listening to something or talking to somebody or texting. In the past, most people couldn't avoid solitude. Now there isn't any. Everybody is communicating so incessantly around the clock, less time where people go into a solitary place to pray. We are more prayerless than we have been in the past, and our spiritual health is in freefall. Overconnected, no joy. Another barrier is neglect of the Word of God. A healthy prayer life is impossible without time in the Word of God. If you're not being shaped by the Word of God and immersed in Scripture, what's your prayer life shaped and filled with? No word, no prayer. And probably the biggest problem of all, the biggest barrier of all, is an independent spirit. The root problem in my life is always pride. I'm proud. I don't think I need to pray. I, I'll, then I allow connectedness to get in the way. Then I ignore the Bible. Prayerlessness is pride. Saying, I don't need God. I know better. I'm strong enough. I'm good enough. I got this. Egregious self-centeredness, which just adds to the epidemic prayerlessness. Because self-sufficiency kills prayer. I can do it myself is the famous last words of a fool in his folly. A.W. Pink He's talking about John 15, about abiding in Christ. He said, to abide in Christ is to maintain a spirit and attitude of dependency on him. It is the consciousness of my helplessness. There is no abiding in Christ when we entertain a spirit of self-sufficiency. The independent spirit says, no thanks to God. So how can we grow? Every one of us knows we don't pray as often or as faithfully or as consistently as we'd like. Every one of us knows that learning to embrace the values that God wants us to live by are part of the sanctification process. We also know this. We do what we value. At any moment in time, you do exactly what you want to do. What's clearly observed in your life are your values. And so what happens is when you notice that you're that what you say and do are not in alignment, there's inconsistency, you've got to make adjustments. So here's some adjustments you can make. Number one, soak your prayers in Scripture. Immerse them in the Bible with a motive to desire God's glory above all, like Daniel in Daniel 9, longing for the glory of God. One of my favorite ways to pray is to take a passage of Scripture and pray it back to God. You can't go wrong. Pattern your prayer after scriptural prayers. In the Old Testament, there's some grand prayers of Moses, David, Hannah, Solomon, Hezekiah, other, so many others. New Testament, you got the prayers of Jesus, you got the prayers of Paul. And, and by the way, you, you go through biblical prayers and they contain the elements that we ought to have in our prayers. Not always in this order. If you want to take the acrostic acts, like many Christians use, uh, adoring God, uh, confessing sin. Thanking God, saying needs. Your, your, your prayer needs to be scriptural. It needs to be theological. It needs to be accurate with who God is. And, and it needs to be personal. You're, you're talking to God. You're talking to the, to the God of the universe. And your prayer needs to be practical. You should be praying about real, specific things. A great pastoral prayer is a model for personal prayer. 
You can do this. You can read the Psalms. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Answering God, says, we only pray well if we're immersed in Scripture. And we learn prayer vocabulary like children learn vocabulary, by being immersed in the language and then hearing and speaking it back. Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible, so your prayer life is going to be enriched by immersion in the Psalms. Another adjustment you can make is to unplug often to get reconnected with God, with a motive of fellowship with God. Like the psalmist says in Psalm 42, 1, my soul longs for you, O God. Or Psalm 63, Lord, I seek you earnestly. Because every one of your callings in life calls for prayer. You've got to make time. You've got to reserve time for prayer because if you don't manage your time, none will be left for time alone with God. It's good to be alone with God in the word and prayer. And you need to live in conscious awareness of his presence every moment in an ongoing relationship. And every one of us has failed in prayer. And, and when you continue to fail and when you fail, keep praying. Practice praying on the spot. Don't promise people you'll pray for them. Just pray for them right then, in the moment, or when the phone rings, or during an appointment, or during the test, or during the meeting, or during the sermon. You see faces. Pray for their lives. View prayer as spending time with a friend. If I say I love Angela, but I never spend time with her, I'm not really loving her. You need to enjoy the presence of God. Talk with God in relationship. You pray for God's will. Be directed by the Spirit of God, according to his word, in an attitude of submission. Jude says, pray at all times in the Spirit. What does that mean? Misunderstood by lots of people. Romans 8.15 tells us, we receive the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And then the Spirit helps our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, according to the will of God. Prayer controlled by the Spirit of God is according to the will of God. You pray in the Spirit that way. And then last point, just pray about everything all the time. Communicate with God who knows everything. With the motive to, to glorify God and to have needs met. It's just like breathing. Just pray all the time about everything. Pour out your heart to God in an ongoing conversation. Pray for laborers for his harvest. Pray for shepherds for the flock. Pray for all believers. Pray for every Christian you can think of. Pray through the church directory. Pray for those in leadership. Pray for those who mistreat and persecute you. Just admit your need, humble before God. Me, I want to fall asleep praying and wake up praying. God hears your prayers because of Christ. The gospel, Graham Goldsworthy said, is primarily about the work of the Son. How we know the Son determines how we view our relationship with the Father who speaks to us through his word. How we view that relationship determines how we come to God in prayer and with what confidence. The expression of our entry into God's heavenly sanctuary secured for us by Jesus. When you pray, you're not pleading with God who is unwilling to help you. You're not acting in as a substitute for him who's too weak to act on your behalf. If you're united with Christ, he is your advocate, and there is no ceiling that blocks your prayer. You want to partner in God's work. 
You want to pray his purposes are fulfilled through the gospel and it's God-pleasing outcome. And Lord, we thank you that we can pray. Thank you, Lord, that prayer is our soul's glad declaration of total dependency on you. That it's the heart cry, I'm alive in Christ by your doing, God. And I want the world to know Christ, whose precious blood was spilled at the cross, whoever lives to pray for me. Thank you, Lord, that Christ died and was raised and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have made known to us the atoning work of your Son through the Spirit-inspired scriptures. You drew us to yourself, that we would be in this eternal relationship with you where we get to communicate every day, in every way, everywhere we are in prayer. We thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.